Hi, and welcome to another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart, keeping you healthy and pain-free. This is podcast number 151, and in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about those waist trimmers that you see on celebrities like the Kardashians, I think all of them, or at least the older ones, um, and, and other celebrities have been using these waist trimmers to whittle their waist down. So today we're gonna to be talking about if those waist trimmers are a complete waste of time. And we're gonna be looking at it from the health perspective and from the aesthetic perspective. Uh, and to help me with this conversation today, I am thrilled to have Sandy Hilton, Sarah Haig, and Ann Wendell. And just as an FYI, all three of these ladies are part of the Strictly Business Virtual Conference, which is uh, set to air on April 21st. And if you go to healthywealthysmart.com right now, you can get the early bird pricing, and that pricing is good up until the 21st. And if you are a student, the price for students is $99, and that will never change because I don't think students should have to pay the same amount as working therapists. So just as an FYI, if you can't get enough of these ladies from this podcast, you can get much more of them on the Strictly Business Online Conference, A Guide to Creating Your Physical Therapy Business. So ladies, I will just have you kind of go through and kind of introduce yourself, and then we will get started. So Sarah, I'll start with you. Okay, my name is Sarah Haig, and I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Chicago, Illinois, um, and the co-owner of Entropy Physiotherapy with uh, Dr. Sandra Hilton, who will be speaking in a moment. Um, I'm a certified uh, specialist in women's health, and this is a perfectly timely um, podcast. I just had a patient ask me about these um, for a fitness competition, so it'll be a fun discussion. Okay, Sandy? I'll, I'll go next. I'm lucky and absolutely blessed to be working with Sarah at um, Entropy Physiotherapy as a co-owner. Um, I pelvic health and kind of sports and orthopedic therapist and I'm very interested in this topic and what we can do to help people get that confidence about themselves, but in a way that's healthy. Um, that's it. Okay. And Anne, go ahead. Hi, I'm Ann Wendell, and I'm a physical therapist and certified athletic trainer. I am just outside of D.C. in Alexandria, Virginia, and uh, mostly orthopedics and sports medicine, but I've gotten into women's health as a way to um, help out uh, the women that I treat who have orthopedic injuries, um, who I realized over time a lot of it is due to um, pelvic floor dysfunction and things like that, so I'm very happy to be here to talk with you all. Great. So now let's talk. So let's get into it here. So I'm sure a lot of you have seen pictures um, on the internet or Instagram of, of certain celebrities wearing these corsets, but now they're called waist trimmers instead of corsets. But let's be honest, it's a corset. Um, I was reading an interesting article. It was in Elle magazine. I think it was from an Elle magazine last year where a woman wanted to have her waist look nice and small like Kim Kardashian's. And so she started wearing this waist trimmer and you can look up the article. It, it just did not sound like anything fun to be wearing this waist trimmer and to sort of constantly be cinching it tighter and tighter and tighter. Uh, you know, I think there's a reason these things went out in the beginning of the uh, 20th century, you know, uh, in the early 1900s. But Let's first start out with, just so that people get an idea of some of the verbiage and some of the language that we're gonna be using during this interview. So let's first talk about the anatomy of the, if you will, quote unquote, core area or of the weight or in and around the waist that people are trying to trim down so small. So let's start out with anatomy first. So Sarah, why don't you go ahead and just give a quick overview of what anatomical structures are in this area? Ooh, well, if we're talking about muscles, so if we start up at the bottom of the rib cage, we have the diaphragm, which is our breathing muscle. And I am, um, I, I like to not mess with that muscle. It's a very important one uh, that has its ability to do its job. And we're not going to change that muscle much. So we want it to be able to do its job, but we're not going to be strengthening it, stretching it, anything like that. Um, Along the sides, we have our back muscles and our abdominal muscles. So the abs are the 
usually the ones we're focusing on. So we have the transversus abdominis, which is the deepest layer. And, and it's kind of like a built-in corset. So that's one where you can, um, if you can learn how to use that properly and to your advantage, um, I'm all for that. Uh, and then we have some, the internal obliques, the external obliques, and then our rectus abdominis right on the top running from our bottom of our rib cage down to our pubic bones. Um, so those are our abdominals. We have our back muscles and then the floor of the core, the, um, the pelvic floor. So that's a bunch of muscles kind of in a, um, it's transverse plane. So it's kind of going between your pubic bone, your tailbone, and then your sits bones out on the side. And it's more like a trampoline or it's supposed to be. And that's a really important um, muscle to help hold up all of our insides. On the insides and inside of the muscles, we have all of our very important organs. So I don't know if you want me to go into those or let someone else take that. Oh, sorry about that. I was muted. Whoops. Um, so yeah, Sandy, why don't you go into, if you will, the organs that are inside that waist area that when people use these waist trimmers, um, perhaps they might be compressing that area a little bit too much. They, they might be compressing it a little much. And I think of it in, in my head of, of like a balloon, um, that our whole abdominal cavity is sort of like a balloon. And I guess my, my image of the waist cinchers are um, more like taking one and trying to make a, um, a puppy out of it and squeezing the middle really tightly. Things have to move. Um, what's in there that's relatively important are your um, all of your bowels, both the, the small intestine and large intestine that, that does the pulling out of nutrients for our body that we need. Um, it takes up a massive amount of room in there. Your, your stomach itself sits uh, a little bit under your lower ribs and down the, the left side of us. Um, and uh, important things like your liver and your kidneys that you might want later and your um, uterus and your uh, bladder down towards the lower part of the abdominal cavity. Um, when we take something and push it really firmly in the middle, it increases the pressure inside the abdomen, um, which can be an issue for us women. Um, in if like a tube of toothpaste, if you squeeze it in the middle, pressure is going to go somewhere. Um, one of my concerns with using very tightly cinched binders or corsets around the waist is that I wonder what we're doing to the inner abdominal pressure down onto the pelvic floor. Um, and for women that might be prone to, to pelvic organ prolapses where, where the bladder and the uterus and sometimes the, the rectum end up further south than they're designed to be, that creates some problems. And I, I think that, that this might be a, a fashionable idea that if it's taken to the extreme can put some people at risk in the future. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and there's one other thing that I saw continuously on different uh, websites uh, that sell these binders, or there was an interesting article on Refinery29 that talked about some of the dangers of it. And underneath, people were sort of chastising the author by saying, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about because I have a diastasis recti and that's because my transverse abdominis muscle pulled away when I was pregnant because of all the pressure. So can you talk a little bit about that statement and clear up the misinformation about what a diastasis is and how that kind of, how that happens and what exactly structures are involved and are not involved? Sure. So um, everybody knows that we've got kind of like our six pack muscles that go down the front and that's our rectus abdominis that go from um, kind of like the bottom part of the sternum and the ribs down to the pubic bone. And when we're pregnant, especially, um, it's not that men don't also sometimes have a diastasis, but it's more frequently seen in women. Um, when we're pregnant, we need to have extra room for the uterus to grow and the baby to grow. And so the rectus abdominis is actually two halves that come together in the center with connective tissue called fascia. Um, that fascia that it's called the linea alba starts to separate a little bit and the abdominal muscles come apart. Um, and sometimes you can see that on a pregnant woman, it's kind of like a dark line that goes down the center of the belly. Um, and so this is something that's fairly normal. It happens, you know, we need to make room for the baby. 
And in most cases afterwards, um, after delivery, the rectus abdominis muscles begin to come back together. Um, sometimes they don't, and you can end up with a couple finger widths, um, you know, anywhere from two to three, I've seen up to five um, finger widths separation between the two halves of the rectus abdominal and the abdominis muscle. And the reason this is really the issue is because it kind of messes with that whole pressure system that Sandy was talking about. Um, if we th are thinking of everything between our ribs and our pelvis um, as kind of like it should be a closed container and a closed pressure system, um, we don't want to have kind of leaks of that pressure in different areas. And so, you know, we, we would want that um, rectus diastasis to come back together. And so there, there are different abdominal binders that can be used after pregnancy for more medical reasons, but that's not so much what we're talking about here. We're talking more about um, cosmetic reasons. And what, you know, what I saw a lot of people say is that my transverse abdominis muscle caused the diastasis because right. that, and that's incorrect. So that's just, incorrect. <laughs> that is correct. That is incorrect. So I just want to kind of get some good information out there for people because when you read some of the statements from these, from different, from various people on, on these websites about these waist trainers, the amount of misinformation given is really astounding. And it's because people don't know what they don't know. So, so hopefully this will give people an idea of what the core muscles are, what the what's in the abdominal cavity, what a diastasis is, and that the transverse abdominis, and I saw this a couple of times, is not involved in causing the diastasis recti. So let's just clear all that up right now. So now right. let's go into, so Anne, you had mentioned there's abdominal binders that can be used sort of for medical reasons, and then there are these waist trimmers. So I'll throw this out to, to any one of you uh, who wants to take this, but why might someone need an abdominal binder for medical reasons? There's, um, so this is Sarah, they're, um, they're actually used a lot in neuro. So for patients who have spinal cord injuries and have trouble um, maintaining positions and maintaining um, the normal intra-abdominal pressure, in, in their middle, um, it's actually used to help with digestion, to help with blood pressure, to help with all of those things. Um, so, so that's a really good medical reason. There's a lot of uh, different cultures that use abdominal binding after pregnancy. We don't typically use it here in the States, um, but it, I think the idea behind that is to kind of give some of that, ex, that, some of that support that our abdominal muscles aren't able to do right now because they've been stretched so far, they can't work properly just yet. Um, and it does seem to work well. But again, that kind of abdominal binding isn't, isn't typically done to cinch the waist. It's mostly to support, just to support the, the spine and the insides of the new mom. And that type of abdominal binding post-pregnancy, how long are women usually wearing that abdominal binding for? What is recommended? I mean, it seems like some of these people, these waist trimmers are wearing them for like a year or more. So what, so why would, um, why would you, what would be for medical purposes, aside from someone, like you said, with a neurological compromise, um, so let's say post-pregnancy, what is the amount of time that they should wear the, a binder for? I think that we don't, I don't actually know like the history and how it's actually applied in other countries and we don't do it here typically. I would say that with most of our new moms, they're getting back to normal activities in six weeks, mm -hmm. um, six to 12 weeks. And I would expect that as those muscles recover, that they do start to wean themselves off um, in, in a relatively short period of time. Some people might wear them up to a year, but it really should not, in my opinion anyway, should not be something that they plan on wearing forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, Karen, yeah. this is Anne. So I had um, I had a C-section with my second uh -huh. baby, and so I was given um, an abdominal binder. And of course, this was this was years ago. But um, yeah, I think I want to say that it was maybe four to six weeks. Okay, um, but I didn't even wear it the full time. 
but um, initially, especially the first week or two after having a C-section, God forbid you have to cough or sneeze, it's really uncomfortable. And you can either kind of like hold a pillow against you to splint the abdomen a little bit, or, um, you know, I think I did use the binder just a little bit, but I agree with Sarah, shouldn't probably be longer than six weeks tops. Mm -hmm. Sandy? Yeah, um, yeah, you need to be able to, to get the changes you want, but also keep everything healthy in the process. Six weeks is what, what I have read. Okay. Um, so I don't <clears throat> and now let's talk about the, let's, let's go into pros and cons of these waste centers. So Sandy, before we started, you had said that you had read what would be an interesting somewhat pro for wearing these waste <laughs> So, do you want to share one pro? Sure. I um, I've been I've been reading a, a website um, the, uh, of a lady who is is quite fond of corsetry and and promotes it, and she has a lot of information on here. Um, one of the the comments that was made again, this is, is from a perspective of wanting um, women who feel that if they do the tight wasting, they are going to look their best, and. And one of the comments um, on her page was from someone saying that they had a lot of sensory integration problems of another medical condition she's dealing with and, and some pain involved. And she felt that when she had the corset on, she had the right amount of sensory input where she actually felt better. Um, and that was really the most positive thing I could find on it from a, if I have this, this corset or a, a binder on that, my my system feels better supported, and that was that was from all of the reading I've been doing. The best, hey, that's that's a reasonable idea to wear one um, if it makes you feel like you can then be more confident in all the movement that you are doing, and and you feel better um, better together in your body with it. And that's um, kind of on that continuum of, of is this a cosmetic thing? Is this a, a, a a social thing um, and and what are what are the the risks associated with doing it this that was the one pro ish that I could find okay, so we have um, one pro ish um, and <laughs> and again, you know I think there's a difference between the abdominal binders that we were just speaking of that maybe you might use after pregnancy and these waist trimmers. Um, so the abdominal binders that you use after pregnancy are not designed to literally whittle your waist down. Am I correct in saying that? Correct. Correct. Okay. So, so those are there as just to give a little extra pressure and maybe a little extra support post-pregnancy versus each week tightening it more and more and more. Am I correct? Okay. All right. Correct. So. So that's the difference between these abdominal binders sort of used for medical or postpartum. And now let's get into waist trimmers, sort of this neoprene type thing. That or lace. Or, or lace. Bone. Yeah. Okay. With boning, correct? Yeah. And mm -hmm. what you do, it seems to me from what I've read, is you sort of tighten this up every week or so so that your waist continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And, you know, I think everybody has seen that picture of Kim Kardashian in a white workout outfit at the gym wearing this, this waist trimmer. Um, mm -hmm. And Khloe and Kardashian looking like, you know, teeny, teeny, tiny in her waist trimmer. And I, I only say, I, it's not like I'm picking on the Kardashians in any way. It's just these are the people whose pictures I've seen. Um, wearing them. So, uh, so let's talk about then some cons of wearing these waist trimmers. Um, so I can, I can, what's up? Sorry, this is Sandy. I can say it from, from personal experience, having worn one for a day at a ren Renaissance fair. Uh-huh. It was the day I met you in person, Anne. Um, oh, the, no, you did seem kind of dizzy after that. <laughs> just, <laughs> just kidding. Um, the, um, <laughs> I'll go with it. The, uh, but my friends have, um, they go in full costume to the Renaissance fairs. And, and what I got to wear for the day was a, a time appropriate garb, including a corset that was just like you see in the movies where you had the dress on and then the corset went. 
on top of that, and really my friend had her foot kind of right on my, my sacrum while she pulled those laces as tight as she could. And the instructions are, okay, breathe in. <laughs> and, and so I got to walk around all day with incredibly amazing posture. And not a lot of breath, breath in there. Uh-huh. Now, that's not how these people do it. They started on its loosest, and there is actually instructions all around the Internet of how to, how to get your corsets um, gradually tighter because what they're aiming to do is to, this is one that, that says it really clearly on the instructions, what you're trying to do is get the organs to move so that they some go down and some go up above it, and your, your colon will then reshape in the available space you've given it. So you want to go slow to let everything move so that you can still have bowel movements and get proper nutrition. Um, so it is particularly done to to reorganize the insides of you. Women used to remove the lower couple ribs to give themselves that lovely hourglass figure and then course it even tighter. I hope that does not come back into fashion. Um, but when you wear it, you do have to change how you drink. Your toileting habits certainly change. and and um, Laughing is is not quite a belly laugh anymore. It's the very lady how, how could it be a belly laugh? You can't move your belly. <laughs> so that was my, my day in the corset. That's enough. Yeah, that sounds horrible. Um, it just that does that does not sound like a fun day to me. It just doesn't sound comfortable. It doesn't sound, and I don't know. Maybe if over time, as you're tightening this a little bit slowly. Your you, your sensory system maybe gets used to gradual tightening versus that one big sort of pull all at once. But still, nothing about that sounds very enticing. So, uh, Sandy, you sort of alluded to some major cons there. Um, and, <laughs> and one thing that I read on one of these corset websites was that the tighter you make it, the harder it is to eat a lot. So that's another reason why you'll lose weight and your waist will get smaller. Which, again, Anne's face was like, what? No, I'm just it's thinking, can, can we talk about the, the biggest con? I mean, aside yeah. from the medical issues here, let's talk about um, why it is that we are always trying to convince women that we need to be smaller and take up less space. Why is that? You know, it's mind boggling to me, especially after creating a human being, you know, we're talking about women who have just given birth, how amazing and powerful and strong your body is to give birth. And then the message in our culture is that we should be as small as possible as soon as possible and take up as little space as we can. Um, That just, that actually makes me angry to think about, Um, you know, and I just think that it's such a I don't want to judge what other people do, but such a disempowering message to women that we need to change anything about um, how we look after having a baby or at any other point in our lives. Um, You know, I think that the goal, and we would all agree, is to be fit and healthy and happy and functionally mobile to enjoy life with your family, your kids, significant other, your cat, your dog, whoever you hang out with. Um, But you don't need to have a teeny tiny waist to do that. And I think about the message that that sends to, you know, I have a teenage daughter and, um, you know, they see these things. And so these are messages that we're sending girls and young women from a young age. Um, And I, I mean, we can, you know, obviously we're going to talk more about the whole medical side of this and physical side of it, but just kind of emotionally and mentally why would we want to do this I don't really understand that yeah and and I agree um, completely with everything you said and then the other thing is is maybe we could say that you know more trim and fit that's associated with more health Um, and like I said I have I know someone who's in a fitness competition and she asked if she could do this because she wanted to win what you get when you use a waist cincher to get that smaller waist it's not it's not an example of being healthy. You're literally squeezing bits and pieces. You're not using your muscles. So you're not becoming more toned. You're not becoming any stronger. If anything, the opposite's likely happening. Um, And you're restricting how your body works. So a lot of the fun stuff I read from like the 1900s, early 1900s on what corsets and such can do to your digestion. You don't eat as much, but what you do eat 
you're going to burp up, which is not terribly attractive, or um, you develop some gassy issues. So, so the illusion you're getting of the smaller waist isn't, in fact, anything healthy at, at all. So, um, yeah, it's a really interesting idea that a smaller waist makes you look more fit when you're doing something that doesn't involve fitness whatsoever. Yeah, and, and quite the opposite. You know, so, so my question is, are women who maybe don't get the best information while they're pregnant and after pregnancy, or like Anne said, young girls who are very impressionable and who look at these people who are in the spotlight and who are really hawking these things as look what it, look at what it did to me. And now I can wear X, Y, and Z, whereas before I couldn't do that. Um, and, and you you fear that these these women and these young girls are are just looking at only looking at what they look like versus how they feel versus what they have on the inside literally and figuratively um as as really what counts and it's not to have a skinny waist at all costs because just because you have that skinny waist does that mean you're going to feel so much better about yourself does that mean you're going to have more confidence? I, I don't know. And I don't know where, where does that end? How skinny does it have to be before you maybe feel like, oh, I feel confident. And, and if you keep using these waist trimmers and keep tightening down as much as, as you possibly can to have the tiniest little waist, to have the perfect, quote unquote, perfect hourglass figure, where does that end? And does that lead down into the road of an eating disorder? Does that lead down into the road of a body dysmorphic disorder? You know, I think there's so much detrimental effects of this type of, of um, culture, I guess you could say. Um, and like Anne said, why do you have to get to have the tiniest waist after you've just given birth and done such a powerful thing for yourself and your new child? You know, in what world does that have to be okay? You know, yeah. What what images are we trying to maintain yes. and, and achieve, and who defines them? Um, those are those are really really important meaty questions. And I, I, my own bias would be that 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 is the the underlying why do, why would you do it? Why would you think, hey, I I'm going to go for this um, strict, um, very controlled regimen to get my waist down to teeny teeny, um, reorganizing my organs and my lower ribs in the process. Um, what's the underlying motivation for that would be a, a really amazing sociological study. Um, I would suspect that it's tied to the same motivations and reasoning that um, young girls in high school are gifted with breast augmentation as a graduation present. Um, we have a, a lot of interesting and by that I, I mean somewhat disturbing um, beliefs about ourselves as women. I'll, I'll put myself firmly there. Um, and do you, you know, or do you look the way you want to look? And what does that mean about yourself? Those are some really, um, really important conversations. And I think a lot of this comes to that. Um, what do you need to do to feel good about yourself? Um, it's so much more than than does this dress look hot? Because we all want that. I mean, really want to look good and feel good in what we're wearing. Um, I will tell you that if you look at some of the corset sites, there are some gorgeous ones out there that I think if I could get it in a size that didn't make me feel like I couldn't breathe would be really beautiful to wear. Um, some of them are pure artwork. <laughs> <laughs> so really beautiful pieces. Um, and, and, Maybe that's that's a, a point I think we I said when we were um, before we were recording is that some of it's some of it's not bad. It's just when you take it to the extreme that mm -hmm. it becomes un, unhealthy. Um, but certainly a lovely corset of lace and, and and jewelry that just makes you feel incredibly feminine and sexy. Okay, wear that. Um, please be able to breathe and laugh and eat while you do it. Right. Yeah, well, so that and also, um, you know, I keep thinking, wouldn't it be so great if we could teach women how to actually be strong in their core? And I think, you know, obviously, um, 
all of us are, are doing that and, you know, dedicated to uh, empowering women and teaching women about their bodies. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of other good uh, people in the fitness industry out there doing that too. But, you know, if we could teach women and young girls, even from, you know, the teenage years, um, just how to actually build that support, that corset inside of themselves and really strengthen and organize their, their deep central stability system. How amazing would that be? I mean, you can put whatever fabric and jewelry over top of it that you want, but um, you know, even uh, before women are pregnant, during pregnancy, postpartum, our, our postpartum care is pretty terrible in the United States compared to other developed nations. And um, you know, we don't, we don't automatically get visits with a, a woman's health therapist or you know, anything close to that. In fact, most of the patients that find their way to me actually had to um, convince and push and prod their physician, their OBGYN, whoever it was, to actually get um, into the office. And luckily, in my state, they can come through direct access. Uh, but, you know, maybe we, but maybe we can talk a little bit about that, too, is like, how do we do that? How do we change that? Yeah, mm -hmm. how, that's, I think that's a great point, Anne. And how, you know, should there be better postpartum education in the United States? Absolutely, yes. Um, should an evaluation by a women's health specialist, physical therapist, or, or even a personal trainer who has gone through some extensive, um, some extensive postpartum training be part of the continuum of care after birth? Should it be an automatic you give birth, you automatically get sent to your physical therapist. That's the first thing that a physician does. Um, I, I think yes, and, and wouldn't that be a great thing? So that, like Anne said, we can teach people after birth how to navigate their way through those first couple of weeks until they're allowed to kind of get back to what they were doing. Um, so they don't have to say, well, you know, look at so-and-so celebrity. They gave birth three weeks ago and they're already wearing these, their tiny little clothes or such and such a person. <laughs> we're just not going to mention, we're not going to mention they have a nanny, bless their, their hearts, and a cook, bless Ex their hearts, and yes. a housekeeper. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, but can we back that up? Can we yeah. back that up even more? And when yeah. you find out that you're pregnant, that you get sent to someone that can help you get on a, a an independent program of what to do while you're pregnant to stay healthy and strong and fit so that perhaps your delivery will be easier so that then after delivery, you can get back even more. So much like we do prehab for an ACL repair, mm -hmm. let's do it for pregnancy. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then maybe if people had a little more confidence in themselves and were empowered by the education given to them by a PT or a physician or what have you, then maybe they wouldn't have to say, well, after I have my baby, I'm going to get one of those waist cinchers. They may say, you know something, I know what to do to make myself feel nice and strong post-pregnancy, and I can do this on my own. Yeah, well, and also to know Sarah, their resources. Oh. oh, go ahead, Sarah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, also just to know their resources. So something I say to all of, all of the people I see, um, for whatever reason, it's just, look, you're going to be independent with this, but it's okay to have questions and it's okay to feel frustrated. Um, and I am here to answer those questions and concerns for you. Because what happens is if they don't even know that there are people like physical therapists as a resource to ask questions to, what they do is ask a doctor who's like, yeah, you're doing fine. Um, and then they Google. So then they Google and they find a corset site or they find you know, information that isn't necessarily the most accurate or the most helpful but they dive right in because they don't know what else to do. So I think to definitely, if we, if we could get them before they're pregnant, while they're pregnant or postpartum, uh, um, and again, just become a reasonable resource for them, that that would, be, that would be an amazing thing to happen in the world. Absolutely, and Dr. Google can sometimes be a little rough yeah. and maybe not give <laughs> the right information. Shocker. <laughs> Shocker. Shocker. Um, Sandy, you were going to say something earlier? Uh, I was going to ask Sarah, uh, with the, the lady that she was recently talking to this about for a fitness um, perspective, um, 
can you can you go a little bit more into to your thoughts on how this might or may not help with with someone who already is strong and has things and are looking for how do I you know what what are the motivations for why you would do that? I can only think of my horseback riding friends and 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 that would have been part of something she used to try and look better while she sat on the horse because she would think that that would make her win more often. Um, much of much of the the horse showing was how beautiful do you look riding that beautiful horse? Mm. Right, and I think that goes back to a lot of our discussion earlier about so what is beauty and what are we what are we looking for here? Um, and is it humanly possible and, and is it reasonable to expect humans to be able to do what whatever standards have been set to win? Can those standards be met reasonably? Um, for for this particular gal, um, bless her heart, she so seeing me for pelvic floor issues, um, having difficulty coordinating her core. And so the the answer that was given to her by some of her trainers was to cinch. Um, and luckily, I was thrilled. She called me and was like, what do you think about this? She's like, I don't think it seems like a good idea. And I don't want to do it if it's going to make other things worse. And I was like, I think that message you left me was beautiful because yes, <laughs> yes, I don't think you should do this. I think that um, that you should really take the time to figure out why, why is your waist not doing what you want it to do um, and, and how to make all of that work better as opposed to just slapping something on that may or may not actually get you the results you're looking for. I think that's the other thing we haven't even talked about. You can cinch to your heart's content. How do we know if it's working or not? Like, do you end up with what you want? Um, but then to think about the medical or the health ramifications afterwards, uh, I, I was very happy that whatever I had said to her previously got in there and that she didn't just jump into doing it. And I think too, that brings up a, um, you know, a good point is that I always explain to my, um, my athletic clients that you really there's there's a health performance continuum and you're usually not going to be at your top health when you're at the top of your performance right because when you're training super hard you've got a, a competition or something coming up you're necessarily sacrificing some of the health um, issues like sleep or you know recovery different things like that um, and so if you have a certain performance goal that you're going for, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're building in the best health for long term. So maybe sometimes you have short term goals like that, um, whether it works or not, or whether it's good or not. But that's maybe a performance goal that doesn't necessarily lead to uh, good overall lifetime health. And I think there's a big distinction to make with that. Yeah, and let's let's talk about sort of the long term ramifications of of these waist trimmers. So, uh, so now not talking about the abdominal binding or maybe like ancillary short term for competition, but let's talk about these seemingly healthy women using waist cinchers for a purely cosmetic reason. So what are some ramifications we'll say what are some long-term ramifications because everybody in this society of our ADD society where we need to have everything happen within the first five minutes of us doing something um, and, and oftentimes people don't look for those don't look at or think about well what's gonna happen in five years or in a year in a year in a month in six months in a year in five years what happens to these women who are using these binders postpartum, what happens to them when they're, you know, in menopause, you know? So what, if you guys want to uh, take some of the ramifications of wearing these waist cinchers, uh, some long-term ramifications. Go ahead. I'll, I'll go first. Yeah, go ahead, Sarah. Um, yeah, so I'd say one of the things that I'd be most concerned about is pelvic organ prolapse. So Sandy mentioned, um, some of the things earlier, and that is something I saw on many of the articles I reviewed before doing this. Um, there, all of our insides are kind of held up by various connective tissue and ligaments, um, kind of holding them in their general position. And even without wearing a corset, these can start to descend. Pregnancy um, has a huge impact on that. Multiple pregnancies has a larger impact. Um, just genetics, tissue, um, health and integrity, so there's a lot of variables there. Um, but then when you uh, 
so things that can fall out of the vagina <laughs> include like your bladder, bits of your urethra, um, rectum, uterus. These are all things that are supposed to be inside, but they can start to descend. Um, if you wear a corset, it does not mean you will have pelvic organ prolapse. However, if we think about there being um, several factors in this happening, I would say that it would, you'd have to have no other factors predisposing you to prolapse to have that corset not create a problem in this area. Most of us aren't, um, I would say most of us already have one or two of those things going for us, meaning you know that we've had a pregnancy or two or three. Um, you know, maybe we've done things in the past that have created that downward pressure. Throwing a corset, it's, I would say, a very high likelihood that that's going to be a problem for you. So uh, adding that waist trimmer or corset, um, and again, these are not like Sandy said, you know, there are some beautiful corsets out there that you can wear. And listen, I've worn them as part of Halloween costumes and things like that. But that's like one night. We're talking about these long-term waist trimmers that we're seeing on a lot of celebrities and social media. And uh, the and idea is to sleep in them and yes. and and wear them up to eight hours a day. Um, Correct. If, if you're not already, if not just sleeping on it, I think most of the stuff I read was up to six days a week, and then you have one day off. Um, and there's regimens where they'll they'll loosen it and then tighten it and loosen it. So it's all very scientific and very controlled. Um, someone mentioned eating disorders earlier, and and that's that's a control thing as well. Um, the the it, it might it might that might be one of the dangers of doing it is is again you need to look at your motivations of why you're using them and is this a, a sign of an underlying dissatisfaction that might need to be addressed in a more possibly healthy way. Um, besides besides the pelvic, pelvic organ prolapse, I would I would be very concerned about um, bowel function, constipation, and absorption of nutrients. Um, because if we're if we're taking our major organ that gives us the nutrients that we need and we squeeze it, um, how how happy is it going to be doing its job? How effective is it going to be doing its job? Um, I don't know that any studies have been done. I haven't found any. There's a lot out there of of opinions. Like ours, <laughs> but um, but I haven't seen anything that looks at long term um, long term outcomes. And there's certainly uh, some people all around the world that have been been proponents of this. The earliest things that I found the websites are all written in 2010, 2011. So they've been four years doing this. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see. You know, can can the human body be reshaped like this and be okay? It it reminds me of the the um, foot bindings. Mm. that were done in um, you know to keep women's feet small and dainty looking or so that they couldn't run away um the and and that had long-term consequences for for function later on in life i would imagine that this would as well with breathing and, and digestion and certainly pelvic organ prolapse and what happens to these women when they get pregnant when they get pregnant if and when they get pregnant again so if you have someone who's a waist cincture Mm -hmm. And then they get pregnant. I would assume they would stop pinching. I, I would hope but, so. But how does that go? How's the how's the anatomy of that? Does, would it matter, or are bodies mm, plastic and fluid enough that it would say, "Oh, thank you, I have space, and now I will take it all." Mm -hmm. um, no, I actually read during Victorian times they cinched right through. They um, it was indecent to be without a corset, so they corseted straight through. I'm sure there were some modifications to accommodate, but they were still doing it. Whoa. Okay, so we've got some long-term consequences of pelvic organ prolapse where parts of your insides literally fall out. And I think a lot of people don't understand, not to use the, not, no pun intended, the gravity of the situation of a pelvic organ prolapse. That means that literally your organs are falling out. Organs that are supposed to be inside you are now outside of you. <laughs> well, wait, I, I'm going to describe it in a little bit different way. So it's yeah. not that it's, um, it's actually falling <laughs> and kind of bringing the vaginal wall with you. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 I don't know, the analogy I use is kind of like when you are in a tent, um, you know, and so the drunk neighbor at the campsite next to you, if he comes over and falls into the tent, uh -huh. right? So he's still on the outside of your tent, like, literally, but he's like in your space, mm -hmm. same thing. So it's not that you're, you can see your bladder, what you actually see would be 
the vaginal wall, but, but yeah, so it's, don't worry, they're not going to fall out to the floor, but it's still a big problem. Right. So that's a big problem. So that's number one. Number two, long-term consequences of poor nutritional absorption of poor bowel motility, intestinal motility. Um, Because, you know, I think our organs do best when they can move. Um, And so by cinching your waist that to that small of a size, are we restricting the motility and mobility of our organs? Um, Theoretically, I would think yes, but I don't know, you know, exactly would they adapt to just being in a smaller space? I don't know. Um, Anne, what about you? Any thoughts on some long-term consequences of these teeny tiny waist cinchers? Well, I mean, judging by most of the women that I treat, um, most women have a fairly poor idea of how to coordinate their core to begin with. Um, You know, I guess our national average of women with incontinence is one in three women um, throughout their lifetime. So, you know, the women that I see are pretty much your your average normal women walking around, some very fit, some not. Um, But they already have a really difficult time coordinating this whole um, central stability system that we're talking about where the diaphragm and the pelvic floor and the organs have a natural up and down motion with our breathing. Um, And I just, you know, I think about um, just the inability to actually generate force through your core and stay continent and, um, and breathe properly and just get the whole system working together has got to be uh, impacted by this. And I don't think there's any long-term studies that, you know, that we can really look at. I mean, we're, we're kind of just kicking this around conversationally here. But um, again, I just go back to how important it is to teach women how to coordinate and organize that whole system to really be strong from the inside out. And we see this a lot, even with our high school athletes, um, you know, female athletes being more susceptible to ACL tears and things like that just teaching women how to move better, to, to jump and land better. And all of these things, um, to me, you're just, you're taking away the, the body's natural ability to do that um, for really what is cosmetic. And, um, you know, that's a shame. It could be dangerous. We don't know. Um, but it, it's just a shame that, that women feel like they have to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so taking away, the ability for your system to have proper motor learning, neuromuscular control, motor learning, um, is, is wearing the course all the time, making your abdominals stronger? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Especially um, if you can't breathe properly. <laughs> yeah. It, are you no longer using your diaphragm the way that it is designed to be used? I think most definitely. Um, and, and the question becomes, what about those, the multifidi, and what about the, the other muscles along the spine from that thoracolumbar area, from the middle part of your spine to your lower back? Well, are, do they cease to work the way that they should? I would assume that they are also not firing or not getting the neuromuscular input and motor control that is necessary to support that area. You know, if you're binding it so tightly, can you even bend forward and back? Like, are you, can you move from side to side? I don't know. I don't know the answers to these questions. I've never worn one of these. So I don't know what your, is your mobility restricted? Yes. Yeah, I would <laughs> yes, guess. Your mobility is restricted. You're, you're boning. Most of them have, have boning in uh-huh. them, the, the really beautiful ones. That's what gives them their shape. Um, and, and it is, you are moving within that. So there's not, there's not a lot of, of um, a twisting that is done, there's not any bending um, through the whole middle part of you, which which then you look at what we know, like with um, knee braces or, or ski boots, what it, the, your ankle's going to be very well supported in your ski boot. It's what's above it that isn't. Mm. So if you are being active um, to the extent of your respiratory capacity when tightly corseted, then um, whatever is above and below that is going to be getting more mobility than, than it would normally get. So you, you could look at you know what's going to happen in the thoracic area and and how are the hips. Um, mm-hmm. But you don't do a lot of sitting in a corset. You do more 
very lovely propped positions. And, and it seems to me like a lot of these people are using these corsets specifically at the gym and specifically that's, working that is, out. Yeah. Is that true? I yeah. mean, because I've seen pictures and it seems to me like they're using it while they're working out. Is, is that the same idea as using a weight belt? No, I think it, from what mm -hmm. I can understand, just having looked at this in the last couple of days, I think that they're wearing it at the gym mostly. Um, I don't know, I could be totally wrong, but I think because it's neoprene and they get really hot and sweaty, there's, there's the kind of maybe false um, idea that because you're sweating, you're burning fat from the abdominal area. I, I don't know, but all of the websites I looked at seemed to say that you had to really do your, your gym workouts and your training and everything with this, that you couldn't just wear it and not go to the gym. Um, but I, I'd really... I really don't know how it would help you um, move at the gym. And, you know, it's different than a weight belt, which, you know, that's like another whole conversation. But a lot of times if uh, people are doing, you know, powerlifting or going for a max lift, they will use a weight belt because they're taught a technique like um, a bracing technique to push against the belt, which is another way of, of building um, intra-abdominal pressure. Um, so that's a little bit different, I think. But I can't imagine being able to, to do a workout. But then again, we have to think, what are they doing as a workout? Are they just doing an hour and a half on the elliptical? What, you know, are they actually lifting weights and moving in functional patterns? Or are they running on a treadmill or just doing the elliptical or something like that? But even like, how could you run My, on a treadmill I, in that? I don't know. I really, because yeah. you kind of need mobility in your spine to run. So can you imagine if you don't have, like Sandy said, if you don't have the mobility in your spine when you're running, like holy hips and knees, right? Where is that pressure going? Or, or here's a question. You're doing all that pounding. What happens to the pelvic floor? Yeah. With, with where, where are those forces attenuated? You know, if, if your back is taken out of it and, and your diaphragm. Well, let's do some exercise. Body, I don't know. Yeah, and exercise physiology. What's your oxygen perfusion? Because a couple of things that do change pretty significantly when, with the, the long-term cinching are um, blood pressure and um and oxygen perfusion so if you're going to then put more demand on your muscles from a, a physiological perspective it's, you're not getting great workouts that would be the kindest thing to say it's that you're not your results are not what you think they are um yeah. and that, that's kind of the, the goes back to the, the why would you do this well if we're looking at the purely cosmetic ones and it's it's cosmetic um and then there are criticisms saying, well, this is going to weaken your course. And then you say, okay, well, I'll have my cosmetic corset on and I'll go do all my exercises. But that's still not going to give you strength to the part that you have now taken out of the system. So the, the um, multifidi and the transverse abdominus and those guys, they're on vacation, really. Um, they're not going to be working. And I, don't, I, I doubt that, that any of the large muscles will have great, uh, great perfusion. Yeah. The, the so. multifidus and the, and the um, transversus abdominis went, quote unquote, out with the sacrum to get a drink, I think. <laughs> 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 they all just ran out. Without leaving a note. Man, That's we've right. got this generation of very rude muscles. Damn, they just so, go do whatever yeah. they want. Well, you know, and some of these waist cinchers aren't, you know, I think we're talking about corsets and then waist cinchers. And there's a lot of similarities, but also with some of the waist cinchers, they don't go up so high. So they don't go up to your ribs and, and might not be impacting the ribs like we think they are. Um, so I, I just wanted to make that distinction, but still say that I think that it doesn't make anything work better. Um, so even if you keep it lower and it's really just on your belly muscles, um, everything else we've said still applies. So just, mm -hmm. I wanted to say that in case someone listening, they don't know what they're talking about. They're two completely different things. They are, but mechanically, right. Um, you might have a little more mobility with just the waist cincher um, that goes a little bit lower, but it's really not going to change the function in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. I would, it still will have impact on the pelvic floor. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Thanks for making that distinction, Sarah. Um, <clears throat> so are there any other that, you know, we can think of any other long-term effects or what about any short-term are there any short-term cons to wearing these uh, waist cinchers, especially after pregnancy? Because that's when a lot of 
women, like Anne said, for whatever reason, need to whittle their waist down very, very small. So if you're wearing these after pregnancy, are you just setting yourself up for poor uh, muscular control in the future? I would say maybe. Oh, Sandy, yeah, go ahead. But if you stop wearing, well, if you stop wearing it and go back to, so if you wear it for a little bit and then you, you take it off and you rehab your muscles back to normal, mm -hmm. I don't know that it would be permanent. Got it. I think that would be a little bit too far to say. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's some PT student out there that's wondering, what should I do my, my final research study on? This. This would be mm -hmm. great. Yes, the, the long-term long effects Look at of it. waist cinchers. Um, and and what, what can we do as a profession? So what can we do as physical therapists to address this issue in a positive way? So how can we uh, come out and say to the world, hey, listen, this is what what we think happens when you wear these waist cinchers. So let's try X, Y, and Z instead. So Anne, I'll kind of have you take that one first. So what can we do as a profession to take a positive spin on this and to educate people? Well, I mean, we've got our marketing campaign already built in because we just kind of turn it around, right? And so they're selling a, a waist trimmer and then our, our marketing is just kind of, you know, let us show you how to build your natural corset or something to that effect. Um, because the, clearly, you know, these things are marketed and they make money because there's either a need, people feel like they need it, or there's a perceived need that's created by the company. So if there's a perceived need for women to have a smaller waist, why not teach them how to actually build strength and coordination in their core? And that's what we're great at, especially those of us who, who do women's health. Um, you know, let's, let's start getting the message out there, like we were talking about, not just, you know, postpartum, but from the teenage years to pregnancy to postpartum, um, classes, DVD, video, downloads, whatever. Um, and, you know, there's some good products out there and some good resources, but just, we just have to continue to educate um, the public. I think, you know, they, they want things like this because um, either lack of education, which we can help with that. Um, people want some sense of control when you think about all of the things that are out of your control in the immediate postpartum period. Um, putting something on your waist and making it look good, that gives you some control over something that you, know, you don't have a whole lot of other control with the newborn. So what if we empower new moms to actually have a feeling of control because they know what five um, exercises or breathing techniques or things that they're going to start doing as soon as they have their baby. They've already got that program because they've worked with their physical therapist already. Um, so just developing relationships with women in our communities so they know we're there as a resource. Yeah, go ahead, Sarah. Thanks, Anne. That was great. Um, I Yes, I love that. And we, we get the marketing and we get the right words. But then I think to also work with um, work with where moms are already going to become more fit after pregnancy um, or during pregnancy and to to help convey the message or i don't want to say double check but to make sure the information they're getting is good if it's not good help those people who have the audience have the right information and again understand that physical therapists are a great resource we don't want to take them out of their fitness classes we don't want to take them out of whatever they're doing to get more fit. We want to make sure they're safe, doing it correctly, preventing injury, um, and getting them back to it as soon as possible. You know, if you're a woman who, um, you know, who's suffering from prolapse, so every time I go to my, my mom's workout group, I feel this huge pressure in my pelvis. I would love to be able to say, look, this, these are some things you can do. This is how you can change it. Go back to class. Don't come hang out with me three times a week. Go there. Um, so just helping both, um, the fitness groups and the trainers who are working with these women to, to know how to do it correctly, what to watch out for, and know how to refer them to us so that we can get them back, back into that as soon as possible. Excellent. Again, and Sandy? Yeah, I think it's a, a very collaborative approach of all of the different um, professionals that are out there. We all have something to offer and we can all work together to make it even better and more accessible. 
because there are more people in need of a good plan and in need of good information than, than certainly have it. Um, I love the, the, the inserting ourselves kindly and positively into what's already going on um, and keeping people healthy. I, I, I adamantly don't want anyone to feel like they can't do the things they love. I think we can help them be able to do those. Um, so just what Anne said and what Sarah said, that, that's beautiful. Um, <laughs> well, and I love, and, um, and I think it's all very much a message of hope. You know, it's not, it's not doom and gloom and don't wear this thing, it's stupid. It's like, okay, let's help keep you healthy, but maybe don't cinch it up today because mm -hmm. you might need those parts later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Anne. No, I was just going to say I love, um, you know, the focus on the collaborative Thing. Um, I think it was Julie Weeb at her course said there are way more vaginas out there than women's health physical therapists. <laughs> and like, you know, it's, it's kind of like it takes a village to, to build the healthy woman. And um, it really does. And, you know, I think there are a lot of really good trainers and fitness professionals and coaches out there that we can work with. And I think that, um, you know, they, it, it's a mutual referral. We refer to those folks um, because we know they can keep our, our patients safe and they refer back to us mm -hmm. when um, it's outside of what they can handle so that's really important and, and let's not forget the let's not forget the athletic trainers that are in the schools because if yes. we can get them in high school that's even better yeah absolutely mm -hmm. and and let's not forget all the OBGYNs who are seeing you know high school girls for the first time or who are really the like when you think you're pregnant, you don't say to yourself, I'm going to go to a PT. When you think you're pregnant, you say to yourself, I'm going to go to the doctor to confirm this pregnancy and, and then see what kind of path I need to get on. So wouldn't it be great if, you know, if to all the PTs or even trainers that are listening to this, reach out just to one OBGYN in your area and say, hey, listen, I'm a physical therapist and I can really help your patients. I can help them navigate through their pregnancies and after their pregnancies to keep them healthy and to keep them happy. What doctor is going to be like, nah, I don't want it. Thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. You know, <laughs> I think it's very, very far and few between on that. So again, just making that those collaborative efforts and going to these people in your area, whether it be the OBGYN, whether it be the trainer, the athletic trainer, uh, the group fitness uh, professionals, and saying to them, this is what I can offer to you and to your clients or your patients. So how can we work together? Versus saying, well, I'm a doctor of physical therapy and I know X, Y, and Z. So this is why you should send, send people to me. Like that, does, mm -hmm. that doesn't work. That is not the way to collaborate. So to go in with the mindset of, I would love to help you. This is what I have to offer. How can I be of service? people are going to be much, much more likely to say, wow, that's a great idea. Why don't you, let's collaborate on, on programs for women postpartum, or let's collaborate on a program for women from the moment they find out they're pregnant until they're, you know, forever, I guess, because once postpartum, always postpartum, right? Um, so let's, let's collaborate together. And that way you can empower your patient or you can empower these women to feel happy, to feel healthy, to feel strong. So that if they look at these courses, they may think, well, why do I have to do that? Because I know how to do, I've already been taught how to do X, Y, and Z. Yep. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, so I think that's really important. So I think out of this conversation, I think from what I've, heard and from from listening to to all you great ladies speak is education number one really need to get the right information out there because people don't know what they don't know um, number two uh, start some wider collaborations within our communities that takes us back to number one and and I think number three is to think about why you want to, if you're in the market to buy a waist trimmer, think about why you want to do that and really dig deep and understand the meaning behind why you want to wear this. And is it to have a small waist like a celebrity? 
Is it because like Sandy said, hey, I have some sensory integration issues and this is really helpful. You know, I think that if that's a reason, okay, but really know why you want to do that. And if it's purely cosmetic reasons, I think that there has to be a better way of, of getting around that. And I think it's the education and the empowerment of the women. So um, anyway, that would be my final thought. So Sarah, any final thoughts? Um, no, that was a beautiful summary. And, and I completely agree. Just understanding what, um, what your ultimate goal is and knowing that, you know, our bodies are pretty amazing. And with the right, with the right education and the right knowledge that you can make that happen with fewer side effects than going with the waist cincher slash corset option. Yeah. And Sandy, go ahead. How about any last thoughts from you? Um, my, my, my shout out to the PT student looking for a project. Um, let's test it. Prove us wrong. We think it's not a great idea. Someone, someone set up some really nice long-term study and, and let's find out. Yeah. And Anne, go ahead. Um, I just, I agree with all of you. I'm glad we're talking about it. And, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of research on it. So we're just kind of kicking around our our thoughts on it, but I think that, that they're all important thoughts. And, um, you know, I think anything we can do to help women be stronger and more functional and happier with themselves is a good thing. Yeah, and, and I completely agree. And I thank you all very, very much for uh, being on the podcast today. And I, I hopefully this may kick off even a wider discussion. Um, maybe on social media or, or blogs or what have you. Um, so everyone, thank you for listening. And please follow, if you have questions or comments, just feel free to send a tweet at us. My Twitter handle is at Karen Litzy NYC and yours is? At Prana PT. And that's P-R-A-N-A-P-T. And Sarah? Um, at Sarah Haig PT. And Sandy? At Sandy Hilton PT. All righty. So um, any questions, comments, whether you liked it or didn't like it, whether you agree or disagree, hit us up on Twitter. We'd love to keep the conversation going. And thank you all for listening. Everyone have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.